So as you know, I mentioned last week that I've been really wanting to address the issue of resilience for us Christians. And with the death of Queen Elizabeth II, just 10 days ago or so, I thought, what a good opportunity to introduce the topic. And of course, last week, as I've already mentioned, we focused on the life of Queen Elizabeth as a life which demonstrated resilience over a long, long period of time. Now, as you know, I'm an economist, and so I always like to start by defining my terms. So here's Rod's definition of resilience. Now, look, to be honest, I've had a look at a number of definitions, and I've cobbled this together, using others as inspiration, but also in mind what the Word of God has to say about resilience. So here we go. This is my definition. Resilience is the quality of being able to break through all the life-altering challenges you face and move toward your destiny. Resilience is your response to tragedy, crisis, disappointment, abuse, sickness, accident, temptation, and all other bad things you encounter in life. And the illustration, of course, I have in the background of that slide is a, a little plant that's broken through asphalt. Somehow that seed was covered over and you know what they do, they roll all that stuff out and when it's poured out it's hot, then it becomes very hard. And of course it's designed so that things like plants won't grow through it. But here we have a plant that has broken through its own life-altering challenge. And so for us, I think it's helpful to think of resilience as the quality of being able to break through all the life-altering challenges you face and move toward your destiny. There are other definitions. A dictionary definition goes something like this. Resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or toughness. Another definition, which isn't related to human beings, is the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. It's elasticity, in other words. And that probably isn't a bad description, isn't it? Is it? Uh, resilience is our ability to bounce back, to resume our shape after we've been knocked around by something which Satan puts in our life in order to thwart us in fulfilling our destiny. I want to say something which you may or may not have heard before, and it's this. Resilience is the biblical norm. We are meant to be resilient people. In fact, there's no other option for the Christian. God intends for us to be resilient. 
the expression of resilience is found in a number of areas. In Philippians chapter 3, we are exhorted to press on. In Romans chapter 12, we're exhorted to overcome hardship and temptation. In James chapter 1, we're exhorted to persevere despite trials. Let me read to you these verses. Philippians 3, verses 10 to 14. And on this particular um, passage I'm taking from the New International Version because I think it's a little bit easier for us to understand. This is Paul. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This, of course, is about our ultimate destiny with him in eternity. Regardless of where we are today, Paul's exhortation to us is to press on, to keep on pressing on for the ultimate prize of eternity with Jesus. That may require us to participate in his sufferings. During our communion, we spoke about healing. And yes, healing is one of the provisions of the cross. But remember, Jesus said to us, we will have persecutions. So there are lots of wonderful promises in the word that relate to our prosperity in many areas, spiritual, physical, financial, social, right. emotional. And yes, all of those are ours. They're part of our inheritance as sons and daughters of the one true living God, as siblings of Jesus Christ. But Jesus himself said, in this life, yes. you will have troubles. Yes. You will face persecution because of him. And who knows, that might be sooner than some of us think right here in Queensland. We press on regardless. Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. And this time I'm reading from the New King James Version. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honour, giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not uh, be overcome by evil, but, but overcome evil with good. So whatever hardship, whatever temptation, what evil you face, overcome it with good. Don't drop down, as it were, to the lowest common denominator. Remain steadfast in the face of hardship, of temptation. I don't think this necessarily means to feed our enemy, to, to give our enemy a drink, although there are times, of course, when Christians have literally done that. What this is about is not harbouring ill will toward those who treat you poorly. That's right. Not harming, uh, sorry, not harbouring ill will. You know what? That takes quite a bit of fortitude. That takes, and, and one reason for that is we have a strong sense of justice as Christians because God is a God of justice and righteousness. When we see unrighteousness, when we experience injustice, it makes us feel pretty negative. We can get angry. We can get resentful. We can wish ill to those who are the perpetrators of it. But here, the exhortation is, don't allow that to drive your thinking, your emotions. Don't allow it to drive your life. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 3, and then verse 12. Again, I'm using the New International Version. This is tough. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 12. Blessed is the one who preserves, sorry, who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Count it pure joy whenever you face trials. Whoever said Christianity was easy? Not easy. Not easy. My goodness, consider it pure, pure joy. You have got to be joking. <laughs> no, he's not joking. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, one of the fruits of the Spirit. That's right, amen. How good is that? Not very. <laughs> 
But press on, overcome hardship and temptation. Persevere despite trials. Remember Paul? Paul did it pretty tough. Perhaps not as tough as the Christians he persecuted did before he had his transformational experience with Jesus. But we read in 2 Corinthians 11 verses 24 to 28 that he was beaten, stoned, always being criticised. He was jailed. He was nearly killed many times. But he remained resilient. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That's 39 in case you wonder. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil. In sleeplessness often. In hunger and thirst in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Wow. A few perils there. He did it pretty tough. He did it pretty tough. No five-bedroom mansion and Mercedes-Benz in the driveway for him. He was a different kind of pastor to some, wasn't he? In Lystra, he was stoned, dragged out of town, left for dead. But when his enemies left, he got up and went back. Wow. That's in Acts 14, 19 to 20. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Well, they thought this guy was dead. Talk about resilience. Not just emotional resilience, but physical resilience. They left him for dead. And he got up and walked back into the city. I am not certain that I could do that. Praise God, I will never be tested, but you just don't know. Remember Job? Remember the story of Job? Even when his wife said, curse God and die, he didn't curse God. He did some cursing, remember? He cursed the day he was born. He would rather have not have lived to experience all of the disasters that came upon him because he lost everything. His family his wealth and his health. Everything went. 
Everything went. But no matter how bad things got, even though he felt things were so bad that he wished he had never been born and cursed the day of his birth, he never, ever cursed God. I reckon that takes a bit of doing too. That takes a bit of doing. Here's a lovely passage from Paul again. Philippians 4. It's the second half of verse 11 through to verse 13. This is a very well-known passage. It's a passage about contentment. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased or to live humbly. And I know how to abound or to live prosperously. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10, we read this. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, sometimes we can feel frustrated when we look around and see how well off a lot of people are compared to us. I drive around our neighbourhood and I see much newer cars than mine, much nicer cars than mine. I see boats, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars put up in driveways. I see people who have their full weekend for leisure pursuits. You know what? Sometimes you can get a little bit envious. You say, well, I wouldn't mind that. We have to, these days, plan our trips. So I was going to come down here yesterday to, um, to do a little bit of work and decided instead, no, we'll come early, early this morning instead to save a trip. And I'm thinking, you know, I'd really like not to have to do things like that. We scan the specials in the supermarket. You know, whenever there's half-price laundry detergent, we grab some of that. Or half-price washing up liquid, we grab some of that. You know? Yeah, like all of us, it's, it's a bit tough, right? And it's getting a bit tougher because prices are going up. We can very easily start thinking, I'd like to be richer. 
godliness with contentment is great gain. The book of Ecclesiastes warns against chasing after riches. It tells us if we do, we will never be satisfied. It's an empty, pointless pursuit at the end of the day. Let's pray that we can be like Paul, who makes this claim. I have learned, in whatever state I am, to be content. Praise God, there's some reassurance in the word. We've already mentioned Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ. Not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, not in our own knowledge, not in our own wealth, not in our own power, but through Christ who strengthens me. <coughs> Proverbs 2, sorry, Proverbs 24, verse 16. I love this because you know what? It definitely applies to me. Though the righteous fall seven times, yes. they rise again. Amen. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Now the wicked here don't necessarily do wicked things. The wicked here are simply people who do not acknowledge God. Yes. Okay, that wicked, Being wicked, that's the state we're in before we become a Christian. We're wicked before, we're righteous after. Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Amen. I love that. I love that. I've, I've fallen a few times. But guess what? Guess what? I rise again. Yes, amen. I rise again because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 8. Now, I was thinking about reading the whole chapter. For homework, you need to read the whole chapter because it places the passage I've got on the screen in context. All right, and, and you know what I say, along with Greg Kokel, never read a Bible verse. It's one of his sayings, I love it. Never read a Bible verse. Because if all you do is read a Bible verse, you won't get the context. Right. You always need to read around it so you get the fuller context. You really need to read the whole of Romans 8. Yes. I'm just going to read 8, uh, 35 through to uh, 39. And this is a great encouragement to anybody who's suffering any kind of trial. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If you need one passage 
to put up on your fridge. To stick on the, the central hub of your steering wheel in your car or whatever. This would have to be it. No matter what trial, no matter what tribulation, no matter what persecution, no matter what abuse, no matter what sickness, no matter what accident, no matter. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. There's nothing, nothing, nothing. Now, I want to leave it there. Because I'm not finished. I'm not finished. Um, but I don't want to keep us too long either. When we catch up again next week, I want to address the issue of how a resilient Christian behaves. Five behaviours. I hope you'll come back, all right, to get the five. Don't show them. <gasps> Oh, Tamara, you've revealed my secret. <laughs> it's okay. It doesn't matter. No, it's all good. It's all good. I, I didn't tell you that was a secret anyway. <laughs> I'll just give you a hint, though. You might have seen them. That's okay. You can't just do one of them, all right? You've got to do all five. That's where we'll pick it up next week because I really do believe that this is important. Now let me tell you, I, I think it's important to God because it, it's been bubbling in me for a long time now. And uh, when I started putting this together yesterday, I thought it'll take me a few hours because normally it does. Took all day. And I woke up right as a button very early this morning. I got out of bed at 3.30 because God had given me some editorial <laughs> changes. Now, I think that's evident. God thinks it's important. Yes. Right? Resilience is the biblical norm. All Christians should exhibit resilience. There are numerous exhortations to resilience in the Bible. There's assurance in the Word of God that resilience is part of our character as followers of Jesus Christ. When we pick it up next week, I want to run through those five behaviours that mark us out as being resilient Christians.